Hello and welcome to episode 2059 of The Dog Days. Um, today we're going to meet with Aaron Shepard. We're excited about this one, Ian and I. Um, he's the co-founder of Goat Agency, uh, which is, if you don't know, it stands for the greatest of all time and may well be that, uh, as I believe that Adweek have voted it, or sorry, it's known to be the fastest growing agency in Europe, but also uh, a top 10 independent agency in London voted by Drum. So pretty serious dude. Um, we're looking forward to just having a chat with him, obviously to hear about how he's got to where he has done um, with the agency, but also, you know, what kind of struggle, struggles and, and dog days of his own has he been through. Uh, so yeah, this one should be very interesting. This is The Dog Days with Ollie Scott, Junior Eldstar and Ian McKenzie. That's five seconds. Yeah, that's definitely not, yeah. Hello! That's the first time you ever waited. I know, I fucking did it. Um, and welcome to episode 2049 um, of The Dog Days. Is it 28? Yeah. It's 28, fantastic. Uh, today, we're very excited. We're joined by Mr. Aaron Shepard, uh, who, if you don't know who that is, is the co-founder of GOAT. I've just done some research, mate, and uh, found out that you are the fastest agency, fastest growing agency, yeah. and fastest agency uh, in Europe. Yeah. And also today, uh, I've seen in drama you've been released as number nine in the top ten independent agencies in London. Mm. What that's, the fuck is going that's on? That's why we put you at the head of the table nah, as well. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the first time yeah. we've ever had a guest at the head. So well, I appreciate it. Oh, mate, fully privileged. Uh, um, so yeah, thank you for joining us today, mate. Thank, thank you. you. No, it's my pleasure. And, uh, and apologies for being literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm apologies for being late. <laughs> no. It's very, very unlike me. Well, <laughs> um, look, so I guess I want to kick this off um, really by sort of going into a bit about, you know, what goes around. I mean, Ian and I have been following you guys on LinkedIn for a while. Um, you guys are brilliant at, you know, sort of marketing what's going on in the agency. I, I want to sort of reel off stats, but I feel like everyone's kind of done that when they meet you and everything else. So I'd rather sort of go, where did this kind of start for you? And how did this mad agency that you've called GOAT, which in case no one's guessed it, stands for the greatest of all time, I think. Yeah. I've sort of made that up, by the way. I've gone like, I hope Yeah, so that was your last minute research, <laughs> wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must, it must stand for that, right? Yeah. Um, it, so, yeah. it does, but that wasn't the only reason. Ooh. Um, but yeah, we're... So sorry, just to jump in. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll just do. start, I suppose. Um, we're very lucky that fundamentally things have fallen for us at the right time and we're, you know, utterly relentless in our ambition to do it. So... I mean, those two things really is what what does it. Mm. Um, the luck we came... So the goat came out of a previous business of mine, um, a company called Sport Lobster, which was mm. a sports social network. We raised 17.5 million sterling, um, got to 2.5 million active users, had partnerships with the NBA, the NFL, Gloucester Rugby Club, Crystal Palace. We had Cristiano Ronaldo as an ambassador and every Premier League footballer you can wow. name, and James Haskell, or, or everybody. Um, and we were essentially just trying to acquire users. Um, so the other, two found, the other two founders of GOAT, Harry and Nick, mm. used to work for me at Sport Lobster. Um, was it Nico? Nico so Nico Carey was our CTO at Sport Lobster, ah, okay. who also is our chief technical officer or technical architect um, at GOAT. So he's not... He's not involved in GOAT in the way that he was in Sport Lobster. Mm. So that, uh, I founded Sport Lobster with one other guy, not Nico. Right. We then brought Nico in. He became our chief architect ah, and, okay. and grew it. Nico's brilliant. What were Sports um, Lobster's offering at the time? So we're a sports social network mm. bringing, essentially, the opportunity we saw was that LinkedIn was absolutely killing it mm. as a niche social network and everything else was pretty general. And MySpace was just relaunching as a as a music social network and it looked like 
everything was going to niche up from mm-hmm. a network point of view. Um, so we brought all the news, um, all the social interactions of Twitter, all the article writing of you know the traditional journals or the, the Athletic now, um, and we brought it all together. It was a one-stop shop for sports fans. So you'd go and sign up. You'd say, I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm a LA Lakers fan, and I like the Welsh rugby team. Then mm-hmm. your whole experience would be created around that. Um, so it's, I still believe, is a great idea. I'm, I'm involved in a couple of other businesses doing similar sorts of things. I can't really talk about. Um, is that I, still going? Sorry, Sports Lobsters. Sports Lobsters, nothing to do with me. Right, okay. um, I exited in 2015. Okay. Um, the reason I exited was... So Harry and Nick... Harry I hired at 18. He ended up becoming head of social at Sport Lobster. Nick... Um, joined very early on as well, ended up becoming head of marketing. So the three of us were spending two, three hundred grand a month trying to acquire people. Um, we're using every agency in London, all the supposedly brilliant agencies. Yeah. Um, a couple of things we found that in general agencies overpromise and underdeliver, yeah. which, you know, I'm, I don't come from an agency background, I come from just a sort of business market trader backgrounds. For me, that is utterly unacceptable in any circumstance. And for some reason, agencies in general get away with it because they all do. Um, So we sort of start to get fed up with agencies. We start to just do shit ourselves. Um, And one day in 2013, we gave one guy on Twitter 10 quid um, before the word influencer meant what it does now, told him to post about Sport Lobster, sign up, start putting stuff out there. And he drove 2,000 downloads for that 10 quid. Mm. Just blew our minds. What was the type of tweet, a video or something like that? No, it was his, he spoke about football every day. Okay. Um, So it made absolute sense for him to um, join Sport Lobster and start posting there. And Mm. so, you know, again, that sounds so obvious. It's just influencer marketing 101, but... Mm. This was before anyone had coined the word influencer marketing. Sure. We didn't think he'd post. We thought mm. that would be the end of it. Give him a tenner through PayPal. You never see that again. Yeah. Um, but it 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 just absolutely killed it. So lesson one, six years ago, was, whoa, there's some value here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we know the value because we're spending it everywhere else. Yeah. So I know how what the value is on all these other channels. And this one is dynamite, but it's one post. Yeah. Um, Getting ushered back to the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sneaking my way Can't back. Got a piece to get over again. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so it was one post. We then logically, like anyone would, um, went, right, we need to do a lot more of that. So over the next month, we used 100 different influencers that all looked and sounded and seemed to be the same person, basically. Mm. Football community spoke about it, everything else. And the results really surprised us. Um, Basically, 80% of it didn't really work. Drove 5, 10, 15, 20 downloads. Still not a bad CPA, but sure. when you've got others, the other 20% driving 1,500 plus for nothing money, then there was a realization that, oh, okay, not all influencers are created equal here. Mm. So 2013, we started to track everything. Um, by the time I decided to leave Sport Lobster in 2015, we had used four, four and a half thousand sports influencers. We had more knowledge on the sports influencer community than anybody else on the planet. We tried to use the couple of influencer, one in particular influencer agency had appeared at that time. Mm. They couldn't do what we could do internally. So again, there was sort of 
fucking hell, they're killing it and they can't do this. And we can because we're actually delivering it for ourselves. So that sort of started the light bulb of GOAT, really, between mm-hmm. the three of us. So um, was Sport Lobster, it was your company at the time? Yeah. So what was leaving it like, leaving that behind? Was it just a matter of you were very clear on the new direction with GOAT? Um, I left on my honeymoon. Wow. Was right. it when you were away? Yeah. Yeah, I just decided I didn't want to do it. That sounds like an emotional departure, in a way. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't. It was, I just, I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. And I, I, I think the people, like, people often ask us, oh, fucking, how have you guys done what you've done? How do you grow so quick? It's because I believe it. I really believe it. And so when clients are sat with us, they believe it because it's true. And as soon as it isn't, I'm not interested. And it just felt to me like the path that I always thought Sport Lobster would go on, it it wasn't necessarily going to go down that route. Um, and the second I wasn't 100% behind it, I didn't want to do it. How did that feel? Because I, I feel like that's a... It felt great. Yeah. It felt absolutely brilliant. But the lead up to that feeling of feeling great, obviously, which is the detachment. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was a nightmare. The, the, the big lesson I learned, and the, the, the big reason I, I left Sport Lobster, other than the opportunity with GOAT and the belief, was investors. Yeah. Like, just an absolute nightmare. An absolute nightmare. And, you know, we had individual investor sets that put nine and a half million in. We you know we had several that sold out and made money and it was all... But it was just a fucking nightmare. And I was dealing with, like, regularly had scheduled calls at 2 a.m. Scheduled. Scheduled what, International Scheduled calls, investors. Yeah, international investors. Where, like, that's just what I'm doing at 2 a.m. And, like, that's not an easy... That's not a, hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> that is awful. Would you go to like, sleep and then wake up? No. no you, just, no. you stayed up just, and like, oh, guys. Yeah, there was no sleep and it was, it was mad. It was absolutely mad. Um, how, how long did you do that? Because... You strike me as someone that is just... I mean, I want to ask you some questions because there's definitely... Uh, we're seeing the evolution of the kind of four-hour work week. And I think from the likes of Tim Ferriss kind of inspiring lots of entrepreneurs to have a brilliant work-life balance. Mm. And they can still disrupt an industry as long as the hack is right and everything else they've created is, is brilliant. feels like you were maybe the generation just before that started happening. And so you're still in mind slogging gut out mode. Yeah. Did it feel like you were... I think, I think to be honest, there's a lot of bullshit in entrepreneurship. And I think a lot of the... I think people now are starting to say what people want to hear rather than what the actual truth is. And I always say, I'm not someone that thinks everyone should be an entrepreneur. I actually think very few people are capable of it. But I also think very few people should want it, right? It's, it's glamorized. But like I say this all the time, like, you don't want my job. You really do not want my job. You don't want to actually do what I do on a day-to-day basis. Why is right? that? Because it's a nightmare. In what it's, sense? Well, I'm, I'm responsible for 130 people all over the world and 100 live campaigns now, live, mm-hmm. where I might not be dealing with them on a day-to-day basis. And I might, but, you know, if there is something that's really wrong, it all comes back, mm-hmm. right? So you end up actually not dealing with the exciting stuff. You end up dealing with, and like maybe... Again, well, I believe we're the best delivery agency in the world, but we will have 5% of campaigns that are underperforming. Mm. 5% of campaigns that are underperforming might be five campaigns, yeah. and that might be a million pounds yeah. that's underperforming. That Yeah, the other's going great, but the person who's giving you 200 grand of that million wants to kill you because they're 10% under where they thought they're going to be. That's just, mm. that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, somebody's mum gets ill, somebody's cousin does, someone has a, like, Ed, there's, you know, the scale of dealing with those sorts of problems, the, every, everything that there isn't an answer for, we have to come up with the answer for. Mm. And that, I think, is what people don't understand about being an entrepreneur, is when you're not, and if you run a business, but somebody else owns it, it's not the same, right? Mm. To be ultimately responsible. Like if you're an MD of a business that isn't yours, you are financially affected by the success of the business, right? You, you might not get your bonus, you might not get all this stuff. But if you own it, you might lose your house mm. if it goes. So the downside isn't there. Sure. When you have downside in business, things are very different. Like it's, you know, you're... And I think we've got into a place where for some reason entrepreneurship is cool and mm. this idea, the number of people I meet that think they can have a successful business and only work six or eight hours a week and I just think like, well, only if you're the smartest person I've ever met. Mm. Richest, probably. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like I, I'm doing my absolute best and I don't have enough time in the day. The thought of being able to do this in eight hours, I, I don't understand it. And mm -hmm. so I get that everyone wants a different thing. And I think if people want a lifestyle business, then that's different, right? Mm -hmm. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call them entrepreneurs. I think if you've got a, a, a little, um, and that isn't to discredit them. I just think an entrepreneur takes on other people's risk as well. Yeah. And, a, and if you want to have a lifestyle business where you get to work four or five hours a week and make enough money, like, great sure like i think more people should do that i, I don't think the be all and end all is are you the person in charge yeah. so what is it that you know the way you've described it, it's obviously difficult and it's going to be difficult for a lot of people what is the upside to you then what is it that you there isn't one there isn't one there isn't one <laughs> so why are you doing it because i can't not do it i was gonna just I was focus around this right because um the why and the per and the, i don't know if you know anything about ikigai and that kind of stuff but the purpose of your existence and that sort of thing it weaves itself into a brilliant entrepreneur why are you doing this i i not for money um just because i want to create the most i possibly can in the world around me while i'm here um i get enormous joy from seeing you know we, we were three people four and a half years ago we're 130 all over the world now we've got kids that were 21 that were in the first five or six that might be managing 30 40 people now like that is what actually excites me when i see you know we put the business forward for awards and stuff we never put ourselves forward mm -hmm. i put our staff forward all the time if one of our campaign managers or wins an award great like, yeah. i'm really proud of that um but the reason i do it is because i can't not and that doesn't mean i can't not take instruction from other people like that's just an ego thing. Like, mm -hmm. People need to get over that. Whether you're your own, but like I, I know I don't answer to anyone at Goat, but I answer to everyone at Goat. Mm. I'm not a dictator. You can't, you can't be. And anyone that wants to be an entrepreneur because they don't want someone telling them what to do, I think, is doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah. I'm still move. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, because people still tell you what to do. Yeah. Like, well, it sounds like you've had investors telling you what to do. And, yeah, we're not in Goat, fortunately, no. because we wouldn't, we wouldn't. Um, but you know, it might be staff it might be it, it could be anyone right we're still human beings if i say mm. to someone i'm going to do something and they're the most junior person in our business that's it doesn't matter if it's me to them or them to me it has to be done mm. so um 
But the reason I do it is I can't not. Is I, I literally I walk around and I think about. Ooh, I wonder what they're doing there. I wonder what their model is there. I wonder, you know, wonder what their margin is. I wonder. I I, I love it. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not actually work for me. I would choose. You know, on a holiday, if someone was like, "Oh, I've got this great business. I want to talk to you about it." I'm like, oh yeah, great. Like that'd be an hour I'll enjoy. It's not. Yeah. It's not work for me. So I can only do this because. I enjoy the process. I enjoy that it's hard because that's what gives you the upside and everything else. Mm. Um, But it isn't for ego at all. I couldn't give a shit. Could not care less whether anyone thinks we're involved in this or not involved in this. Um, I know and I want to leave a legacy. I want to create as much as I can. Mm. But again, not a legacy where I've got a statue, a legacy of other people <laughs> that are doing stuff that mm-hmm. know in their like hearts where they know. <laughs> like, you know, I just, the best example for us is when I started, as, when we started Sport Lobster, everybody we met in the sports marketing world in the early 2000s, sort of late 2000s, early 2010s, um, everybody was ex-IMG. Everybody. And Mark McCormack, the founder of IMG, is an, is, if anybody that ever worked with him will tell you that that guy just gave people opportunities and did stuff that other people wouldn't know about. Now, he's not famous. You'd never know of Mark McCormick unless you were really in the industry. But all those people just, you can tell how much they learn and the opportunity they took from it. And so if we can replicate anything like what he did from a, people in the industry point of view and we're like we're creating this influencer space right there's no four years ago there weren't any in five years there were literally none and in five years time there'll be ten thousand all across the world and in 20 years time there'll be fifty thousand all across the world and if 200 of those are being run by people that started at goat that would give me immense pride and satisfaction well it's that i mean it sounds like a really exciting mission did, did you think when you left um sports lobster and, and obviously not really knowing the world or the ambiguity or anything really around the world that you're about to create, did you envisage 130 people within, what was it, three, four years? It's a difficult one. Yes and no. Um, what, actually, a better question would be, what was the original idea when you said, okay, we're going to do our own thing? We've never really... The plans developed around, you know, our idea has always been to always deliver the best value for clients. So every client we work on, the goal is to deliver better value than they're getting on any other channel. And if you do that, they'll give you more money and then it'll grow and you'll end up doing more work. And that's what's ended up happening. Now, you know, I have a very clear vision on where the industry is going. But, you know, what did you originally see as the value that you could give? I, I knew we could move people around the internet at a better mm. value than anyone else. If okay. you want someone to download an app or to purchase something from a website or um, to follow someone or to engage with a video, like we know we can do that at a better value than anyone else by using influencers. And well, if everyone can use influencers, how do you do that? We use the twenty percent that work because mm. we've used, we've now used over a hundred thousand influencers globally, right? So wow. we know who works, who doesn't work. We know who can sell high-end fashion, medium, low, whether it's north of England, south of England, whether it's the west coast of the US, the east coast, what someone can do in Malaysia versus Indonesia. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 a data game. It's it's so we we know 
that and that is the fundamental tenant of everything that we do is to deliver that value to clients if you're spending you know we're traditionally dealing with massive brands that are spending millions and millions and millions they might spend 20 million a month on facebook advertising and we might beat that facebook advertising by 10 times so takes ages to get them to give you all that 20 million sure you go and say i tell you what if you give us 10 grand we'll give you more than you're getting on facebook for 20 and then okay give us 40 and then 100 and 200 that's how we built so Mm. um we we knew we've always understood what the opportunity was we've Mm. always understood how valuable the delivery is because we're the client we've always been the client traditionally Mm -hmm. and we knew what we were buying it at um so that's always been our, it's essentially an arbitrage play. You can either go and spend your money with another agency and get less, or you can come with us and get more. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> which sounds really when easy. When you put it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, we try and make it as binary as possible because mm-hmm. that's all I wanted as, as a as sport lobster, the brand. Yeah. All I wanted was that. Everyone came in and said, oh, we think we can get your CPA down to X. And I said, okay, great. We, you're going to guarantee us any of that? No, no. <laughs> Anything? Clicks? Any? No. No, but we think so. And then they'd do it, it'd be 60% of what they said. Yeah. And we just went, if someone came in and said, yeah, I'll guarantee you that, we'd give them everything. Of course, Mm -hmm. everything. And so we just thought, well, what do they want? Okay, that's the CBA they want. Okay, can we actually do it? And if we can, why wouldn't we guarantee it to them? And so that was the, the, you know, our first client was um, a football betting product that gave us five grand on the first weekend and then spent seven and a half this next weekend, then 10. And literally that's what rolled the business. We didn't raise <laughs> so any it money. It like this big old sort of big <clears throat> narrow just goal. Like, We're going to be 100 people within the first two years. No, gonna be the it was me, Nick and Harry sat in a WeWork, not even in a WeWork, just sat doing stuff. Oh. We did 15 grand in our first month and then 25 and, and we just rolled the business That's from quick. there. It's Because um, you hear, you know, this is the thing that you normally hear is the first, I mean, I certainly, uh, when I launched my recruitment business, I was under six months covenant. So the first six months were terrible. Mm. So depressing. You know, lots of no's, you couldn't speak to lots of different people, but it sounds like you guys were like, from the offset, bringing money in. I can't imagine that was a, it doesn't sound like it was a challenge. What was a challenge early on? Because it sounds like there's a lot of wonderful... Challenges have come as we've got bigger, to be honest. Um, we uh, now the challenges are navigating. Like we're we're having brands that want us to do the big boy stuff, mm. you know, rather than just the sort of internet stuff, which they I give the internet stuff to the kids, mm-hmm. give them five percent of the budget, they can do what they want. Yeah. Now, because major brands have turned their whole strategies towards social first. And you've got brands like Estee Lauder spending 75% of their global ad spend on influencers. $1.6 billion a year wow. on influencers. And so you've got other brands spending 1% going downhill. You know, you look at all of these traditional brands that we see, all these high street brands have all got the same marketing strategy. Yeah. Go and put a big TV ad up, go and split that up across everything else. Let's hope people go into stores. Mm. Jesus, I mean that's obviously not going to work, right? It's mm. it's you can it's not just me saying that. Look at all of those businesses. Show me one business that has that strategy that's doing well. One. I'd probably argue uncommon, but that's. I see a monkey clapping in your, yeah, in your yeah, head. Yeah. Well, so, no, because I mean, obviously, this is the world I've specialised in for like nine years, and I'm seeing I'm I'm a little bit nervous because the old tricks don't work anymore. And actually, one of my friends I was on the way here was asking me to ask a question to you, which is sort of around. 
did you notice when not being, you know, a competition against those people? Uh, and the agencies that have been famed for the brilliant ads that they've created that were like cinematic, you know, sort of TVC productions. It's, it's creative first, I guess. You've always been working with, you know, yeah. big creatives doing, you know, like a Christmas ad mm. or like those, those... But it seems that, you know, when the, with the birth of sort of social chain and, and jungle and what aware else has come through, it's... It's performance. Mm-hmm. And creative is somewhat right. sacrificed, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, that, and that is what is, you know, people, the creative industry, particularly in creatives, less so in sort of account, but they're angry that this is working. Mm-hmm. They're angry that, you know, this is kind of like you're almost ripping away what they've based 25 years of their, you know, 30 years of their career on mm-hmm. because it's all about the idea and it's about the, the je ne sais quoi, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> But now it's like, well, no, that's my wheezing. I don't know <laughs> who that was. I yeah. think that came from my <laughs> nose. Um, but, but now it's interesting because we can't, the value isn't so much on that anymore. And actually, you know, responsiveness, engagement, like, you know, sales, which mm-hmm. is really what advertising should be for, David Ogilvy, we sell or else, you know, that, that's what it's based on. We can't prove that or they can't prove that mm-hmm. anymore. How are you finding that? Because like, if you went into a pitch and the CMO, Let's say it's a CMO, Ian was at Unilever, let's say it's a CMO of a brand on sure. And they're so used to buying, because nobody gets fired for hiring Ogilvy, right? Because they're going to mm-hmm. you know, win a brilliant idea. How do you go against that when they're, when they're sort of, you know, they're putting £50,000 into an amazing presentation document, whatever, and they're standing there with this really compelling silver, silver tongue sort of, uh, you know, ECD. How do you stand up against that and compete? I, it's not as good as you think okay. would be the first thing. Like, I'm, I'm really sat in those. I know, I know, and that's as <laughs> honestly the big dick energy. The big dick energy was the Yankees on sale. Yeah, just toxic masculinity at the finest. <laughs> there's, um, I think that's a bit of a like. There's always an assumption that we're going to get into a room, and like throughout the history of the company, you know, we've gone from doing, you know, a ten grand deal it being huge to doing five, ten million pound deals, and that being big for us. But whenever we've got into that other room to do that deal. We've always there's always been a bit of me thinking, "Cool, these people are going to know what they're doing," and they they never do, right? <laughs> it doesn't like I, I I've yet to find that where it's like, "Oh, there they all are." You know what I mean? It's people are people, and mm. the majority of the people at the big corporates and at the big agencies care about themselves, not the brands or the agencies they're working on. They won't admit that, but they care about their own promotion. They care about... So it's they make decisions based on what is going to make them look good mm. a lot of the time. So what you have to do is show them that there's an opportunity for them to look good. And we have that a lot. We have lots of clients who are sort of hiding us from the rest of the business because they want the credit of bringing us in sort of thing. Right. Where you'd think, oh, you found something good, great, share it. Well, yeah, the business might want that, but not necessarily the person you're dealing with. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I've sort of forgotten the question. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's how do you stand up against your super? I guess what I'm trying to... Um... I don't think that, yeah, I, it's like, I, I uh, the, the creatives, we're not going for the creatives. We are probably are going for the media agencies. I think media agencies have been pulling people's pants down for a long time, yeah. doing stuff that's... On a golf course. Yeah, I think it's, you know, uh, <laughs> dodgier than that. And um, I think the fact that creative and media haven't haven't lived together for 20 years is insane, is absolutely insane. There is nobody running a startup that is thinking about creative and media separately. The only reason these big brands do it is because 
the agencies around them have set up to make them do that mm-hmm. because there isn't one that offers both. But, you know, you, you can't, if you want to go and do a load of creative, then try and figure out the best media for it, you're nuts. If you want to sort your media and then try and figure out creative for it, you're nuts. You, you, you have to do them together. Like it's, the message is only as good as where it's put and vice versa. So, you know, for us, social has always given us the opportunity to do creative and media together because every influencer post is media, but it all requires unique creative. We do four to 5,000 posts a week. That's four to 5,000 bits of creative a week. Now, they're not all utterly different. It's not 4,000 John Lewis ads or anything. But some of the stuff we build in that 4,000 will touch you more than the John Lewis ad. Not because it's a better production, or which of course it won't be, but because it will be niche, right? It'll be something you're really into, a, a topic you're really into, a game that you're really into, a supplement, whatever it is in a community that you're really into being spoken to essentially in a peer-to-peer recommendation rather than through an ad. So we the only way to do influencer marketing is to do creative and media together. I would argue the only way to do social really is with creative and media together. I think social should lead. It's the only two-way channel. Everything else is a is a broadcast platform, whether it's TV, radio, billboard, you put a message up and that's it. You, you Somebody might graffiti the billboard or they might complain on the TV ad, but you're not really getting any interaction. You put on social, 100,000 people see it, 1,000 of them will tell you what they think yeah. straight away, right? So you want to test creatives? Right. John Lewis went and spent 7 million quid with that ad. I think it's a personal opinion whether you like it. I don't particularly. I think it's maybe because I know it's 7 million quid and I just think what you could do with 7 million quid. But, you know, my wife loves it. My mum loves it. So, Do they shop in John Lewis? Um, occasionally, I suppose. But <laughs> I just not regularly. Who does shop like, in John I don't know. Lewis, like, where is the lyrics one? I think it's like Kingston. There's one in Kingston. I don't know. Is it, is this it is Kingston? Kingston? I just think that there's a bit of a fog and I'm going to be really unpopular if you put this out on LinkedIn, but chief all my clients. Um, but there is a fog. There is a fog of this kind of... Um, strength of brand, right? Because the argument against influence marketing is, yeah, what about the brand building stuff? No, but it should do both. Influence marketing isn't just acquisition. It's For me, everything is brand and acquisition. It's just about the messaging that you use. Mm. So we do a load of pure brand stuff with influencers. We're not trying to sell anything. We're trying to change, trying to take them from the eighth most talked about brand to the first, Mm. right? In their category, for example. It might be nothing to do with sales. So I am not, for one second saying that this is all about acquisition, you have got to do the brand work to get the acquisition. But this idea that the only place you can do brand work is on TV is nuts. It's Mm. only put out there by people that either make TV adverts or distribute them. That's it. Now, that's a lot of the ad industry. All of the big creative companies all relied on TV ads. So they're going to really try and tell you you've got to keep doing that because all of a sudden, if John Lewis next year decides... They're not going to do a Christmas... They're, they're still going to do a Christmas TV ad, but they're going to do it in a social way with someone like us and put 50 niche social ads out mm. and still get three times as many views on it. All that happens is there's no way that agency that currently has it pitches again for it. They just lose it because they haven't got that capability. So mm. we're fighting that, right? People are still trying to keep what they have. Mm. Um I'm not anti-TV. I'm not anti any other channel. I think that social 
should be the first point of call. I would have taken that John Lewis money, I would have made 15 different ads, I would have tested on social in two days in dark social very quickly, would have tested how those performed, I would have taken the three best ones and I would have run with them. And I would have taken the one that performed best on social and stuck that on TV. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Like It, it just it does seem mental. It's funny because, I, I, you know, 20% of the people I speak to are much your sort of way inclined, whereas 80% of my clients, which are still the stronghold of the other side of the industry, mm. will oppose that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to sort of just to hear who would oppose that and what they would say it with. Because I, I'm convinced and I'm... I've written a few posts about this or whatever on LinkedIn and, and it, it gets such a battle. You get the dinosaurs running mm-hmm. the stages being like, what the feed you know, what do you know? I'm not even a creative, you know, headhunter. So that funny reaction. But I just, I can't disagree. And I, was, I was also thinking about like how... I mean, well, in four and a half years, nobody has told me anything that makes sense as to why that isn't true. And I've had this with lots of people on stages with lots of people, with all of the guys that I'm talking about directly with them. And like they, the, the only response is, yeah, but brand, yeah, <laughs> but brand on social. Yeah. What's the, what's the difference? Um, what are you scared of then? So what, what's the biggest challenge right now in Go? What are you, what's keeping you up at night? Um, always delivering for our clients. It's the same thing that's always kept me up. What about the platform? Because you guys are heavily reliant on. I mean, the one good thing about TV is that most human beings have a TV in the house. Mm. What happens when we start sacking off Instagram? We, we flood into TikTok or what? Are you worried about? metric movements, you know, Jungle have had a, had a huge struggle with mm. the, the way the algorithms have changed and everything else. Yeah, so it's different for them. So that because they are a publisher, you know, they've got their accounts on these platforms. So if Facebook shuts down, then Jungle will lose all of their Facebook pages. We don't own or manage anything. So we're completely neutral. We run on, you know, we've probably run on 15 different platforms in the last three months. Um, yeah, right now we spend more on Instagram than we do anywhere else, but hasn't always been that way and it won't be that way in three months. Like It's already dropping. Stories are dropping right now. You think that's because of the likes thing? <sighs> I bet I you've been asked know. that question so many times. What are your thoughts on the getting rid of the likes? Yeah, I think it's a terrible idea. Um, I think the one, it's been done on the pretense. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you why it's been done. It's been done because Instagram want to make money. That's it. Is it. Do you think they're going to make money because people will post more often? Because if they, they're thinking that if people can't see the likes, they're more likely, they're less likely to do influencer marketing by themselves, which they don't make any money on, right? You do influence, you go and pay an influencer, Instagram don't pay, make, they need you to put it through their ad mechanism. So by hiding the metrics, they're going to force you into the ad mechanism. So it's all about money. It's you don't not, think it's about mental health. No, it's really, well, it's, fantastic angle. it's definitely not about mental health. Mental health is about, the, the, it would only the only thing that would I post every day. I don't care what other people get. I ca- if I get a hundred likes today and tomorrow I get true, eighty, yeah. that is what affects me. So, yeah, because you still see how many people are interacting with your content. Who I don't look at juniors, for example, think, mm. oh, you know, he's better than me. He's getting more. No, I don't look at yours. I don't. I yeah. don't know how many likes any of your stuff gets. I don't like you don't do. You don't know how no. many likes any of your it's friends. Self, get. So you're saying it's a self progressive measurement metric rather so you're saying like okay so i, I compare myself r- r- rather than comparing myself against somebody else. they almost need yeah. to tell you that like don't tell you how many likes you get on your own posts that's the only way it would that's the only way it would actually but then people stop posting yeah. because what's the point it, it is it's a credit system isn't it you do it's a coin yeah. system. it's the currency yeah it is the currency of social so to take it away okay but it'll be bad though it'll it? be bad it's, it's yeah. a trial yeah. isn't it they're trying to get out of the yeah. i love it because we have all this data, yeah. right? 
And now mm, you no. want to go and run an influence campaign by yourself, it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So it's actually great for us. Because you still have the likes of other people's yeah, content. Yeah, because so. I've got all of that stored yeah. up so and getting sent to me. So we st- we've still got all that data anyway. The brands won't see it, so they'll have to use us. But I'd still turn it back if I could because I think it's going to damage Instagram. And I think they'll roll it back um, mm. because it is, whether you like it or not, that is why people post on social is to get those reactions. And the mental health thing, as we've just talked about, it's got nothing to do with other people. It's all about, it's all a measuring stick for yourself. Mm. Um, and that's why it's so problematic because if it was just a case of I want to be in the top 10% of people on Instagram, like you get over 500 likes a post or whatever, you can count yourself, then there wouldn't be a mental health problem. The problem is even the biggest people, if you are used to getting two and a half million views a video and all of a sudden you get 800,000, these guys want to kill themselves, Mm. genuinely. They think, I've done something horrendously wrong here. Mm. My audience hates me. It's all going wrong. If they got 400,000 the day before, then got 800,000, they'd be delighted. So it's... I've heard about the anxiety amongst YouTubers and and, and how, like, that algorithm's crazy, right? How you can suddenly just, your ad revenue slashed, you're creating videos, that was your job, but now you're not getting paid and no one's watching your videos. Yeah, it is very destructive. Um, The platforms, like, they're going to regret treating creators like this eventually um, because someone will come in they they just keep leaving the door open right if you were well enough funded you could go in and kill these guys just by taking the creators what Um, do you see as a like a potential platform like an off the top of your head idea like creators owning the the platform themselves I just think it's about revenue it's about revenue on content Um, so when you when like when people are putting the time and effort into this these videos and then they're getting demonetized for no real reason, like you just people just stop making videos, and if they mm. stop making videos, the people stop having things to view on the platform. Sure. So it becomes a um, very negative cycle that they can get themselves in. Um, yeah, but you know, yeah, influencers are in. You know, I, they're certainly not what everyone thinks they are. They're they on camera they're very positive they you'd think oh they're the person in the middle of the room you know running the dinner but like, they're not mm-hmm. they are not we've got one of our own he's yeah <laughs> he's, he's not even yeah. in the middle of this room are you pooch yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah well to become a youtuber you probably need to be able to edit yeah right and needs to be able to like it's actually much more technical and so you're more likely to be a bit geekier than yeah. you are to be the sort of jock like there's very few of those on yeah. on youtube and it's well that's uh, when they have to be put into public situations and then there's people coming up to them and these are quite introverted characters, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it must be a struggle for them Yeah, like to even leave the house, to be yeah, honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of them, it's... Some of them are, some of them would be stars anyway and some of them 20 years ago couldn't have been, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, KSI, he would have been... If he was born 50 years ago, he'd be a star. Yeah. He'd be he'd, he'd be doing radio and everyone... He'd just be the biggest radio guy. And if it was 20 years ago, he'd be on... He'd be doing Friday Night it's... TV. Like, that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is... You, the lights go on and he just becomes a superstar. Mm. Um, but there are... I would say the vast majority of others don't do that. They... Yeah. Particularly if they're gamers or if they're, you know, if they're that ilk. They're people who have been 
literally sat in their bedroom. Mm. Like the, the someone like Ali A, um, who's actually a very nice, normal guy, but his day every day is playing computer games for six hours a day mm-hmm. and filming that. So that's what he is. Yeah. He's a yeah, gamer, yeah. He's right? Not, he's not a... He's not radio voice. No, he's not out every night. You're not rushing he to get him down playing, the pub, are you? No, he's, he's... You want to go and game with him? Yeah, yeah great. But like, <laughs> you think, oh, he's got 10 million followers. Maybe he can come and front this show for us. No, he definitely will not be able to, unless mm-hmm. it's a gaming show, in which case, great. Yeah. But can't use influencers, celebrities. You've got to use them for their specific niches. Sure. Some of them can be the sort of presenter, but the vast majority... You've got to use them for exactly what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Niche content to niche audiences. Have you had any, um, what have your, I don't know, catastrophic is quite a strong word, but terrible campaigns that really underperformed and, and how did you deal with those? Um, we've had two or three um, with difficulty is, mm-hmm. is the answer. Um, influence going mental and just being like, what the fuck, we, we've not put that out. But why are they suddenly like screaming about X, Y? Surely... The influence going mental or the brand? No, the influencer. Like just going completely off brand or off whatever they've been briefed on. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. But that's a big mistake with us. Okay, because so they'll, they'll be off the they're, game. They're done. Yeah, yeah you, really? never, you never get work from us again. Um, no, I mean, we're the acts, right? Yeah. That's that's what we are. We're, we're you know, we, we we pay people fairly but people are overpaid yeah. all the time. So influencers might say, they'll say we're professional and this and that because we are, but they, they're they not going to tell you we pay them a lot because we don't. We get the best prices. Um, so, yeah, it's... Who's, if, it's if, it's really the, if it's really bad, we just deal with it with a client. Like mm. We'd lose money before we yeah. screw someone. So we've yeah. had three or four campaigns out of I don't know a thousand that you know we've given the money back to the client now mm. I believe their products weren't good enough yeah <laughs> but yeah. that's it's your not, fault you bastard yeah. but I, I didn't go Customers in there and, right. I didn't go in there and say that yeah, I yeah. said that's fine we thought we could do this we can't we apologise here's your money back yeah. Yeah. we're going to take that thanks for asking about a skincare routine uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay I, I want to sort of fix it around you a little bit because I think we're speaking a lot about the industry yeah. I was going to say recently you posted a few times on, on LinkedIn or whatever about kind of being in an airport. It, it seems mm. you're moving around a lot. You've got yeah. a camera in your face the whole time. Interesting, we were saying about, you know, these influencers, what they're like as people. How are you finding this? Because this, mm. this is a lot, right? The, you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a wife and two kids. Yeah, two kids. yeah. Um, so the vlog stuff is much less intrusive than I think everyone thinks. Mm. Like, we've never... Everything you see is is real, right? If it wasn't, it would be way too difficult yeah. to do this. Um, we we've never like reshot something. We've I would literally like I would laugh if someone ever asked like that's not <laughs> what we're doing. So I probably have the camera in my face for ten minutes a day, and I just talk as soon as he puts the camera in my face, and he walks off, yeah. and that's it. And I don't think about it. And we've got a team of five doing the blog, producing content every day. So, like, we're not dealing with it. It gets done. And, the you know, we've done 200, I don't know, five days or something yeah. in a row, never missing one. Um, What's the purpose of it from your perspective? Um, to own what we do, really. It's, mm. it's 
it started, I was, I've wanted to, you know, we've, we've all wanted to do it for a while. I've been telling clients to do it for a long time and we've been doing it for clients for a long time mm -hmm. but always stopped ourselves because of oh, what people think of us and all this sort of stuff and nine nine and a half months ago we just thought we have to do it we but not not from a result point of view just that we believe that this is the right thing for, to do for all brands right we have a problem of a lack of authenticity in this world mm -hmm. and real authenticity cuts through all the bullshit Mm. So, you know, I think we're going to move towards brands caring far less about their website, far more about the content that they're producing. I think employees will start choosing companies based on the vlogs of those companies because that's the real insight. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. I've always, I've always said that culture is what we will do when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. But everyone is watching. I've got, you know, you've got an Instagram, you've got a camera, you've got whatever. You've got a phone that can literally film at any point. So really you can't hide anymore. Yeah. And and that's what I love. I think the the kind of fly on the wall style, that, you know, that you guys have taken is, is brilliant. And it does, it, it, it looks and it must be real because, uh, you know, you sort of swear, you sort of go on the button, mm -hmm. you know, something's going on. So I think it definitely, it feels like the way forward. Yeah. Um, I love, it, it, it ties well into that little quote. If I was ever having an agency, that's what it would say on the wall. Mm. It's, you know, it's how we get things done around here. Yeah, yeah. Like what are some personal sacrifices you'd say you've made with all of this? Because I think you were kind of alluding to that before the vlog question, because we're going quite deep. Oh, you've gone to a vlog. You've you died yeah. that quite. Yeah, you've you dodged that. That's but what, what, vlog. what yeah. personal sacrifice? I mean, it sounds like you've been in business for a long time. You've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So yeah. what, what do you feel like you might have missed out and what personal sacrifices have you made, have had to make to make a business as big as it is? I mean, I'm still making it every, every, every day I make it. And every day I question it. Mm. You know, I'm not sat in those airports thinking, God, this is great. I'm sat there thinking, is this actually worth it? Like, is it really actually worth it? If I die next week, like, is it actually worth it? And I don't know if it is or not. And what honest. is it that you're sacrificing? Time with my kids, mainly. My wife, friendships, you, you, you know, that go very quickly, I think, when you're doing this. Like, you, you, I, I don't know any entrepreneur that's got a load of friends. Like, real, you know, they tend to have a lot of friends that they're working with yeah. and that they're, you know, they've got a lot of mates that they're doing stuff with. But if you're not in you sort of, it's different, you mm -hmm. know, and if everyone else is doing a normal job, then they're just not really going to get that. And um, that is just the sacrifice. There's time. This is what I mean by we're talking about this, the four hours, like, mm -hmm. show me that. Yeah. Like, great. <laughs> Christ, I'd love to do this four hours a day, but I can't. Like, mm -hmm. I I have too much to do every day, as, every, as everybody should do if you're really doing something. So it's then just a case of, of what are you willing to give up? You know, I'm, and I give up everything is the answer, right? Mm -hmm. I've got, I've got a call at eight o'clock tonight when like a scheduled one, not, and then I'll have another four or five that aren't just, you know, catching up with the New York team that will still be going until, you know, nine, 10 o'clock yeah. our time. Then Singapore is going to kick on at midnight. I'll start to get messages. Like, that's the reality. Mm -hmm. So, how are you dealing with that? Because that, your phone must be going on the whole time. And actually, yeah. we had a guy on <laughs> What a juxtaposition. <laughs> we had a guy on here uh, two, two, three years ago. Um, he was a lovely, lovely guy. 
and he's written a book called Smart uh, Smart Phone. You've heard of Alan Carr, you know the the, the Alan Carr smoking. smoking, easy way yeah, of drinking. Yeah, 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 we yeah, had yeah. one like the CEO of that company talking okay. about uh, addiction. Initially, yeah, addiction. But Ollie got given the I got given the smartphone. Dump, smartphone I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm launching a product called Rank, which is a, a super greens powder that tastes bad, does good, um, and it's really fun. At the moment, we're in the fun stages, right? And and uh, you know, running the recruitment as well, and also having this podcast, it's, but, it's a lot. But, but whenever you see Ollie, he's just like that. Yeah, I'm just the yeah. uh, same as probably you, right? <laughs> And and I I asked him the question because he's he's written a book on giving up tech and um, I just sort of said look how do you how would you recommend someone like me that's I, literally cash is in my phone my salary everything is in my phone right now and my my friendship groups or whatever else are going off and and I've got so many different things LinkedIn messages I mean you know what it's like mm-hmm. right there's not a platform that isn't going off at some point all the phones fucking ringing yeah <laughs> what would you recommend I do and he's sort of just like just exit them. Well, was it right? But, and he, <laughs> he, but fair enough. And he wasn't. I wasn't asking from an entrepreneurial perspective. I was, I was asking much more from a mental health perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it does. It does drain you. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not drinking at the moment. And I've definitely experienced. If I don't have a stop, which normally is a Friday night for me, I'll be like, okay, I'll have some beers in the pub, and I'll just you mm-hmm. know, decompress. It just goes on. Yeah. And there's not a moment that I sort of stop. I'm, I'm fortunate not to have as many global things as you have going on. But how how are you dealing with that? Are you sleeping? Yeah, I sleep very well. Okay. Um, I I try to be as present as possible and to be to have perspective. I've the good thing about having kids is I have perspective, genuine perspective. Like I, you know, I I care about go so much, but not at all in comparison to my kids. Like it's it's not close. Like I I put the whole thing down. It wouldn't, yeah. And like I, I it, it wouldn't hurt me. Like something happened to one of my kids. I'd never get over it. So how old are they? Uh, three and one. Three and one. Okay. Um. So how, how have you dealt with fatherhood and and managing goat? Um. I really try and keep weekends as as clear as I can. I just don't do any of the personal stuff for myself on the weekends, basically. You know, I haven't watched a football game. Or done it. I used to watch every Chelsea game. I used to go to everything. I'm, I just, mm. all of that's gone. Right. So my weekends are entirely with my wife and kids. Okay, nice. And, you know, that's sort of a minimum sort of thing for me. I say that, but like, you know, I'm obviously away a lot. And so when I'm away, it's different. But mm-hmm. if I'm in the UK, I'm... On a Saturday and Sunday, I'll be with my kids. And does that mean I'm I'm a little bit physically here as well? So does that mean phone is away, or does it no? What do people just kind of know? I can't do that. That (laughs) actually stresses me a hell of a lot more because I'm every possibility is in my head. You never know if a staff member might have got hurt on the weekend or yeah, like like that. I, I whereas if I like if I can look at it and go, okay, there's nothing like on fire like that gives me peace whereas okay. not not knowing is worse for me so i what's the longest you've gone without without knowing so like have you gone to barbados and turned your phone off for a week no God, no. <laughs> no 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 not no. at all no no i couldn't would that that would stress you out yeah yeah big time big time is that I, a delegation problem uh no it's uh it's uh it's me just being a lunatic Really? Which, yeah, I mean, I, I I am one of the most unreasonable people you could ever meet. Like, that's that's just, I want, like, the, my biggest fear 
is not taking advantage of the opportunity. Mm, not right. I can give a sh- I don't care about failure. Doesn't if I have a hundred losses, don't make any difference to me. But because the win is all that actually anyone yeah. thinks about, and I'm very aware of that. So that the fear for me is never. Oh God, we screwed that up. Mm. It's we didn't try. Like we didn't we didn't have a go. We didn't try and do that. We didn't try and have that conversation. We didn't try and that is what scares me the most. So you know, I just need to see everything so I can make sure that nothing gets left on the table. I don't micromanage at all, mm. at all. Like we've the only reason we've been able to get to 135 people, 140 people is because we don't do that. Like we genuinely give people opportunities and trust. and trust. And they, you know, all of the stuff that you see on LinkedIn now about us winning awards and fast growing agency and all all of that is down to the people that we have in the business. It's it might be down to us four and a half years ago, but it isn't down to us now. It's I want to stay on that actually because this is an issue. Like this is a again why you guys are doubling down on winning. I think over and over again. A huge part of that is okay. A alignment and agreement in terms of where you're heading as a business. Your leadership team is all in agreement. Mm-hmm. I hope, I imagine, mm-hmm. about where you're heading and what the opportunity is. But B, and I would even say, but B is probably more important than A. You have empowered people by trusting mm-hmm. them that they know what they're doing. Yeah, and that's either through good hiring or just pure trust mm-hmm. and, and connection to your to your employees. Right. I, I would argue in saying that is that is one of the most important things you can give now in a business. But you can't give trust unless you're self-aware. Yeah. And you can't be, you can't disassociate uh, your own ego from your leadership style unless you are self-aware. Mm-hmm. So there's almost this kind of perpetual, I guess, kind of negative spiral that these kind of CEOs get themselves in when their little glass office is tucked away from the whole mm-hmm. agency because they're not willing to give this away. Yeah. And it feels like that is that has to be one of the core mm-hmm. kind of reasons for your success. Yeah. I don't want to do any of it. Yeah. To be clear, there's none of it where I'm like, I'm the only one. Like, I've I've got to go and do that yeah. ever. Like if because I want to spend time with my wife and kids, <laughs> right? So my default is always there are better people to do this than me, right? And there are right. We're surrounded. There's a couple of things I might be the best at in the business, mm. but there's ten thousand other things that I'm way down the list of people that you'd want doing that. <laughs> so you know, a lot of it we're not the right people for. Yeah. I think we've been. One of the big advantages of Go is that we, going back to that direction that you're talking about, is the, for the three of us, our roles have always been really clear. And there are like our areas of the business and our areas of responsibility and like what decisions would go with who has always been crystal clear. So we never, we have debates and arguments about things, but we'll always get to an answer because... So what is that clarity then? So how do you three complement each other? So Harry is the delivery content guy. He's, I mean, Harry's 24 and he is, without question for me, the best social influencer content specialist on the planet. He wow. he does stuff in two or three minutes with things that, like, I've seen people that have been doing this for 20 years looking at it and be like, what? Mm. And it's it's just he's so it's so native to him, mm. you know. I'm 32. I I joined a social network, really Facebook, I suppose, at 19. Wow, yeah. Harry's 24. He would have been on since he was 10, 11. Yeah, right? We've we got kids in the office that are 18 who have been on them since they were four. Jesus. So <laughs> think about that. Like, <laughs> as native as we all think we are, there's a generation coming up that yeah. think 
we're our grandparents, mm. right? Mm. And the way that our parents use social is how they see us using it. Yeah, so, you know, those those kids have a genuine insight into this that we don't have. But, you know, you don't win anything with just kids, right? Mm. So <laughs> you've, wow. you our balance has always been Harry's the content sort of, he knows how to actually do this magic that people don't know how to do. Mm. I can have a conversation with the adults in the room to give them credibility and assurance and the bigger picture and the strategy and all that sort of stuff. And then Nick is an unbelievable doer. He is the glue that is, it might sound less romantic, that middle role, but it's absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, practically it was always, I'd go in and sell the client. Harry and I would hash out what the campaign's going to be, the deliverables, everything else. And Harry would go and run it with Nick, account managing, and that would be our loop. So business has been built off that, mm -hmm. always always about delivering. If there is a, if we're looking at positioning or, strat, or you know, top-level strategy, the agency or new offices, any of that stuff's all me um, because I've done this is my fourth business, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, anything to do with humans. content or your know, humans would be Nick, right? Mm -hmm. Anything to do with content or influencer campaigns, like I am... You know, it's it's going to be led by Harry, and it's going sure. to be. I'm going to challenge him from the client's point of view on everything, as I, as if I'm the client. But I'm not going to ultimately tell him he's wrong, mm -hmm. and he's not ultimately going to tell me I'm wrong if it's stuff that we've sort of agreed are our different strengths. This um, one really helps with the trio as well, because it, it, yeah, duos are tough. Yeah. yeah, how do who are you to tell me that? But if there are two that agree that that person's right, mm -hmm. there's an amazing book called Reinventing Organizations. If you ever get a chance to, obviously you probably don't have a chance to read that, but amazing um, ideology, which is like a team of twelve really is all you need within a business, and the whole team of twelve will have um, their own specialists. So, like mm -hmm. you were saying, you have the recruitment specialist, the HR, the creative, and what goes around, right? And unless two people within that twelve disagree with whichever specialist. Uh, his idea, they can't override it. Mm -hmm. And they have to have a good enough business case. And I think that that would sort out so many agencies' problems. Yeah. If you just go, I trust that you're the specialist in social media, mm -hmm. and that is that. Unless two of us can give a good enough reason as to why we can't, it's it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the same with everything in life. The, the amount of times I'm sat with clients going through content, and it's, you know, three... 40 and 50 year olds in the room and the whole campaign's targeted at 16 year old yeah. gamers or something and they're going oh, I don't really like it yeah. good <laughs> thank god yeah. because if you did this would be fucked yeah. right? like, yeah, go and give it to a 16 year old gamer and let's see if they like to, it to your right? point though your business model kind of causes rifts in organisations with that structure because I would presume you're looking to get budgets from like they'll have a digital function where there's a digital budget which mm -hmm. you'll get, yeah. but then there'll be just the general sort of marketing budget, and those are the bigger budgets that you're mm -hmm. trying to trying yeah. to steal. So in other existing organisations, that's where rift will probably be caused. It's very yeah. true. With yeah, I mean, fire we, agency. Yeah, I mean, there's only the pie's only so big, and if we're going to start taking a piece, it's going to come from someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we go in, take a slither, and then we go that big bit's ours now, and then they go <laughs> right. We have to take some from them, some from them, some. Yeah. And they only do that if. They think, well, if we spend it with that, if we spend it here, it will deliver 10A, and that we spend it here, it will deliver 10X. We spend it here, it will deliver 5X. Mm -hmm. so they're going to spend it in 10. It's so be between the three of you guys, if any of you ever like had a bit of burnout or it's got too much, and one of you's had to take some time off, um, we we haven't, but we're you know, we've we've got pretty close to it. Yeah, we're, we're very 
we're very aware of it. You can never be too much and, you know, there's always a balance between sort of feeling sorry for yourself a little bit and, you know, because I can, you know, I, I can be sat in those airports feeling very sorry for myself. Just wanting to cuddle your, your yeah. children. and then I get home and an hour later... I'm and they're thinking, crying. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, fuck, that airport was nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like, you know, I, I feel I was sat in an airport in Austin on Friday night thinking, I don't want to do this. Mm. No, I really don't want to do this anymore. Um, but not that I don't want to do I just don't want to sit in a bloody airport yeah, on sure. a Friday night. I want again. to start doing the traveling because I, I don't know anybody that, well, actually I know one person that, I mean, he's famed for saying he will die on a plane. But there aren't many people that can withstand that, that amount of traveling. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I think, 10 flights this month already and I've got another eight or ten booked well, I'd be so fucked I'm so scared of turbulence yeah, at the moment I'd oh, be me so too. fucked me too <laughs> I'd be, me too honestly <laughs> mate, I'm I don't want to do it I hate it just yeah. the actual flying I just I feel like do you need to fly do, like, do you need to be there I had to go to Seattle um, I had to go to LA we're in LA so we went to Vegas so I'll yeah, take that one off yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to go to Austin um, I'm going to Abu Dhabi Dubai and Singapore I've got to go could it be a FaceTime call I mean, I haven't been to Singapore. We've had an office open for nine months and mm. none of the three of us have been there yet. You're joking. No. So <laughs> like, do I need to go to Singapore? Yeah, I think so. They can yeah, create to holograms soon, surely, where you can just, your we're, holograms... We're speaking with the team all the time. We've, yeah. got, we've got great people there, so I'm, I'm very confident in the business there. But I don't feel like I need to go for me. I feel like I need to go for, for them, them yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. that they can see they're not, not just this... Founders. No, yeah. I know, and they're just this thing on the side, you know, and, and I don't want them to feel that way. So I'm... I, I believe me, I'm not doing travel for the sake of it. Right. Um, but it's again, it's opportunity, right? Some of those are big pitches, so don't have to go. No, but it's still it's this burning but thing. Like, you got a sprint because there there could be the new goat coming. It's being built right now. They're mm -hmm. kind of cheap. Your weaknesses. They're cheaper. They're faster. They're sexier. Who knows? Um, I doubt that. That would be easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be very easy with that. But but they're they're going to be there, man. And that must be, I guess, the burning ember inside you, being like, I can't fucking stop now because if we don't get these things over the line and make the do the land grab now. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. And, and I think that's where. I can understand from your perspective why you look at other entrepreneurs potentially and be like, well, you, you can't live like that. But I think in other industries where it's perhaps less service-focused, maybe it's more product-focused, I can see maybe mm -hmm. that, that's an opportunity. But in your game, it is a rapidly evolving game and it's yeah. literally changing one like a second mm -hmm. and yeah. you need to be doing it. So I, I, I think now I can understand the relentlessness. Yeah, I think my, my point really around the, like particularly just on the six-hour stuff and things like that is around that you can't have everything, yeah. right? And so you just... What do you want? Yeah, like what What do you want and how much do you want it and what are you willing to give up for it? Yeah. Because anything worth having in life, you're going to have to give something up, right? I have to give... To be a good dad to my kids, I have to give something... Forget work. Mm. To be a good dad to my kids... You lose football, yeah. friendship. There are things that go, right? And so you just got to decide what's more important in life. And that's really my point. The, the number of people I hear, they're like, well, I'd like all of it. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Yeah. Wouldn't we all? But like, if you figure that out, tell me, yeah. please. But yeah. I don't see that, right? And and um, I just think people need to own their, like own what they're doing and own, like I don't complain about doing what I do, to be mm. clear. Like I tell people it's hard because people ask. But yeah, I don't sure. go around complaining about what I do. Like mm. if I, like I did at Sport Lobster, the moment I don't want to do this, oh. I won't. Yeah. You know, people we could we get people offering to buy ours every day, right? We could sell in a heartbeat, make a load of money and never have to do this again. Mm. 
but we don't want to do that. If it gets to a point where we do, then we will. But mm. what I won't do is complain about it for six months yeah. before I do anything. And I won't, like, if, if I'm not seeing my kids enough, I will just prioritize that yeah. and just go, I'm not going to that pitch next week. And if we don't win it, we don't win it because I'm going to prioritize that. Like, just people need to own things a yeah, bit yeah. more. Um, and I, I see a lot of people saying you can have everything. And I think it's actually a bit misleading. You can have a bit of everything, of course. But you can't have everything full on in the way that you want. You can't look at someone else and go, I want their business, but not be willing to put the work in. You can't go to someone else and go, I want to look like they do, but you don't go to the gym. Like, well, you're not going to. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I I don't have a six pack. I'm flabby and everything. And I accept it because I know if I wanted to have that, I could go to the gym and get it. I'm not willing to put as the sacrifice As soon as you go to the gym, in. you realise why you don't want it. Oh, I, signed, I, I went there once 12 years yeah, ago, an absolute yeah. nightmare. <laughs> and, uh, so not but, an exercising thing to keep the mental health going? No. I, 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 not for, I mean, I've had, I've had ACL surgeries oh. and a few others. I've just sort of been put off a bit uh, because of it. Yeah, I've <laughs> taken the excuses. <laughs> I just saw the classic dad tap of the knee there. Yeah, the yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. The old knee's back gone. Back when I was Dolby yeah. County, I could have yeah, made it. That's it, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question because I think we were leading to a nice uh, time to ask it. Um... We're going to quote a famous rapper here mm. uh, and ask you on one of our stock questions. Bonus which, question if you can guess which rapper it yeah, comes from. Yeah, okay. rapper. Really There's a good. book actually we can give you. Yeah, yeah. We'll give you that book, um, The Good Sugar, Bad Sugar. How okay, to Quit Sugar. That's right. Yeah. All right. You sugary bastard. So, okay. What do you think people see when they look at you? Oh. Jesus. Um, not Jesus, obviously. That's responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's I think they probably. God, I don't know. I don't really think about it, to be honest. Um, I think people that know me, I hope people that know me think that will will know that I'm, you know, a, a bit of a lunatic and stuff, but not in a way that's ever aggressive to people or angry. I'm just my expectations are very high, um, but I'm. I think I'm very fair and try to be empathetic to everything and be nice, you know, but I also, you know, want to get on with it. Um, what people think, they might think I'm an arrogant dickhead. They might think I, I'm really insightful. I have absolutely no idea, honestly. Um, I think if I worried about that, like we certainly couldn't do the vlogging stuff and things like that. Um, yeah, but, sure. you know, I, I, I kind of don't really care what other people think. To be honest, I, I like my opinion of myself is honestly the most important thing. For me. I don't mean that in an egotistical way in any way, shape, or form. I don't think anyone else should think anything of me. But like, I know when I've done good and when I could have done better, mm. or if I've let someone down, or if I haven't. Like, I know. So that bothers me, and I, I, I you know, but what people think of me, I don't. I honestly. It's a fair answer. I honestly yeah, don't know. I accept that. I don't think you can get to your level with your business and be worrying what people are thinking of you. No. And I was, and also, if you are, I think it's interesting I've been asked that question because when you ask a genuinely nice person, and I think genuinely nice people are allowed to say, I don't really care what everybody else thinks because I've got this far being this nice. And to be honest, it's served me quite well. Mm. It's when you, it's an interesting, we find it's an interesting question. A, we normally ask it at the beginning of the podcast, but I think, we were so rushed into starting, it was sort of like, it's been quite a weird place to start. And I think if I turn around, you'd be like, fucking hell, that's yeah, what do you think? I said, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, also, one of my other favorite questions to ask, because actually it's relevant, you've got somebody that's three years older than this age group that I'm about to ask you to, to target with some stoic advice. 
Um, but one of our questions is, if you had a room full of 21-year-olds, which I imagine you do at some point, mm-hmm. yeah. and a megaphone, which again I imagine you have at some point, what would you say to that group of people? Just fucking do it. Right. Just do it. Even if you're not really sure, just step forward and take the opportunity. I think that's it. I think everything, every success I've ever seen, with every human being I've ever seen it come through, has come from taking advantage of an opportunity. So the just fucking do it is when someone puts something in front of you that you're not really sure about, you're not sure if you can do, grab that with both hands and run forward. And nine times out of ten... That will advance people to a position that they never thought that they could do. We put stuff on 21-year-old kids that no rational human being would do. You wouldn't give it to five account directors of 10 years. With rationality, we just didn't have anyone else, so that's who it went to. And they were able to perform at a level that was way beyond what you could have thought, what any of us could have thought going into it. And so the number of times I've been surprised by young people taking advantage of opportunities, but I also see young people not take it and then wonder why it's not happening for them. Mm. And for me, it's very clear. That's all we're looking for, people that will step forward and take the opportunity. And literally, I would say half of people will and half won't. But half, you know, if it's safe, half your people you give an opportunity to take advantage of it, that's brilliant. You end up with a load of people that when you hired them were kids with no experience and all of a sudden three months in are absolute superstars for you because you've gone and given them a load of stuff. I only got opportunity. The first business I went to was in Dubai and it was a property development company. I was I started as a marketing intern there. And I was at a company meeting. There were about 150 people in that business at the time. And the guy said, all right, we're looking for a, a development in Africa. If anyone can bring us something. I knew a guy I'd had a beer with who's Kenyan. And I just had the conversation. Turns out his dad was business manager, one of the ex-presidents. And like, hmm. long story short, three months later, I'm sat with the prime minister of Kenya. Me, as a 22-year-old <laughs> that was a marketing intern three months ago, is now head of business development for Africa because I brought the deal in. Well, Right? And my whole life changed because... Now, they didn't give me that opportunity. They just threw an opportunity out and I went bang like that. And that is my advice to people, is if you're young, so many people don't do things just because of fear and uncertainty. If you can remove that, you can do so much more than what you think you can. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is the only way to succeed. The only way... To, to do that. I, I see people, some, you know, there's been a few at Go over the years and there's, I certainly see it at other organisations and stuff, but I'm sure we have a few now who aren't taking the opportunities and are getting really pissed off that they're not, you know, getting promoted and doing that and it's, it's very obvious why. Um, so what that opportunity could be could be absolutely anything. It might be someone, you know, your boss saying can you come with me to that meeting at seven o'clock? And you're thinking, oh, I don't really want to do that. Maybe I'll get out of that. All right, get out of it. Mm-hmm. Or you go, yeah, I'll do that. And maybe it's getting there 15 minutes early and just take like going above and beyond on every single opportunity that you get. If you do that and you're in the right organization, then you will get pushed up because most businesses desperately need good people. So the second, like if we have someone that joins us 
as an intern, he does, you know, he or she does something brilliant in the first two weeks. The directors are talking about it, right? Because we're going, fucking hell, we might have someone here. This might be a real, you know, mm. and we've got 30 or 40 of that 130, 140 who have been with us for, say, longer than 12, 18 months who are absolutely brilliant. We've got another 50, 60 of that that will get into that category. But the second we see somebody with talent who can just do stuff and... We're always looking for now as well. Time is the thing that people don't understand the impact of. So if I ask someone for something and they get it back to me in 10 minutes or they get it back to me in three hours, the 10-minute person has infinitely more chance of me seeing that and interacting with that in a positive way. Now, as long as they're at roughly the same quality, but being able to fast-forward things at the right time for people is what I think most managers are looking for. They're looking for other people that can make their lives easier. So that's a really good piece of advice. I love that. And, and weirdly in my head when I was thinking you were talking about your, um, your sort of uh, apprentice scheme or intern scheme, it sounds a little bit like a, a football club, right? So you, there's no reason why an amazingly talented 15-year-old kid, Wayne Rooney, whatever it was, how old was it, Everton, I forget, can't play for the first team. Yep. And actually, 10, 20 years ago in a traditional agency, said that would never make sense. Mm -hmm. You can have the best creative in the world, but they're never going to be a creative director mm -hmm. because they've not done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Because of the way that you're building a business and you're designing it around cultural nuance, understanding, relevancy, all that sort of stuff, there's every chance that person can progress at light speed mm -hmm. because they know better than you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, because it's actually native to them. Welcome to the weirdest time in the world. I honestly think, I, I wrote a thing about this before, is, you know, it's a, about two years ago was the first time I've ever seen it where a 25-year-old person within a business can help somebody that's 50 years old almost equally. Mm -hmm. Here's my kind of, you yep. know, stoic <laughs> credence and understanding of the world. And, and thank, can you please tell me what the fuck's going on with TikTok? Because mm -hmm. I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we can help each other exactly the same. Exactly. And, and, and that's it because they're, you know, it's, it's the difference between someone that actually understands what they're talking about and someone that sort of learned the phraseology but like, yeah, there are lots of 40, 50-year-olds that can talk about social. Mm. But I think it's impossible for them to be actually native because if you've picked up anything at the age of, like if you pick up something at 20, you're not native, right? It's not the same. Mm. When you, I watch my kids, you put an iPad in front of my nearly four-year-old, like not that I give it to him, to be clear, but even if it's mine or something like that, like, the, the way he understands swipes and yeah. things like that mm. would blow your mind. Like, no one's ever taught it to him. It's just mm -hmm. innate somehow. And you watch him on the TV even doing that. And that's like, it. He's like, seen... Screen, that's I know, what that's what it is. <laughs> like, it's, and so there's just a different, a different set of behaviour that's, that's built into that. But, you know, we, we, we get it weirdly as, as, you know, we've got an average age of, I think, 24, 25. And... One thing I would say is some clients are great with it, but lots are ageist. Like I have been directly told by num like a huge number of clients things like, I need somebody that's over 30 on this account. Yeah, it makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, but they are just going to ask the 22-year-old yeah. behind yeah. them what to say. Harry needs to die his like, hair grey. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, <laughs> and it's, a walking well, he did yeah, die his hair grey. They want they? me to do it, but yeah. I'm coming out going, right, Harry, what do you, what do you know? Like, <laughs> so it just doesn't, like, the, mm. the more they get integrated with us and the more yeah. they actually see these people, then they'll understand the value. They understand. But they, they, they just look at it and they see a team from 
I'm going to pick a good agency, like an, an OMD or someone. We send a load of people like us in, basically, and they don't really know what they're doing, but they, they know enough to, to yeah. sort of push it around. And we send the actual experts in that maybe don't have the sort of client Silver experience tongue. of 10 years mm. of pulling wool over people's eyes because they're not actually doing that, right? Um, so, you know, there, there is a... There is a bit of the client side lacking on these younger kids that needs to come with with time. But if I, when I do put the older account manager in, they are just asking the kids what to do. Yeah. So it is completely pointless for them. Um, and hopefully that will go as people, you know, as those roles are filled by people of similar age to the kids we've got, because it's what they should be. If you're sure. a big multinational brand, surely you've got someone that's 24, 25 managing your social. You haven't got a, like... They don't mm. exist, really. No, no, no. Everyone I've met is a kid. <laughs> and they're all their magic, you know, they're, they're, they're all taken advantage of a little bit and pushed this hard, yeah, pushed the kid in the room for social. Now, because social's gone from being a channel where it's we put a bit in to some brands, and I'm trying to get all brands to go to a social first strategy, that means you actually have to listen to the kids on everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's scary for people. Right? That's When you're talking about tens of millions of pounds, it's very scary when you've got a 23-year-old. <laughs> but... That twenty-three-year-old will probably have the right answer. So it's we had, we had a really funny situation. So I, I realised that we're, we're about two minutes from finishing. We had a really funny situation with um one of our old, my, my old investor was James Khan from Dragons Den. Oh yeah, and he had a ghostwriter for um for <laughs> for his Twitter right, and the ghostwriter was an intern at BBC who was writing um for uh, David Attenborough's new recent show that came out anyway. <laughs> Obviously, they're doing it on their phone, right? And, and you know, he was writing little things about the program whilst it was on, and you know, sort of ghostwriting, being like, you, "You sneaky little cuttlefish, look at you there!" Like, it was quite funny, right? That what BBC were putting out. Anyway, she mixed the accounts up. Yeah. Right? And so James Carlin starts putting things out, being like, "You naughty little cuttlefish!" Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, my god. But it goes on for two or three days because the oh, guy's never gone on his god. own Twitter account. Oh, that's <laughs> brilliant! It was amazing. Well, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> you naughty know, little cuttlefish. Yeah, you naughty know, little cuttlefish. Oh. Look at you sneaking around there, the coral. <laughs> Because <laughs> so it's just code language of someone who's fucked up a bit. It happens. It's yeah. happened to all of us. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Brilliant. Well, look, mate, thank you so much. It's been it's been lovely. My pleasure. We really appreciate getting to thank you. Thank you. Um, as I mean, if you don't know, uh, get to know. This is the Go Agency and Aaron Shepard, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to putting this up. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at the Dog Days Pod. Leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week.